This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for May 4, 2022. The NPC podcast was created to discuss and consider the purpose, process and people of the pharma industry during the COVID era. We'll continue the healthcare conversation by answering questions sent by listeners. Just like you. This program is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Imprez is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Imprez tailored best-in-class solutions at www.imprez.com. Our guest today is Joan Chafaya, founder and CEO of Alto Pharmaceuticals in Aurora, Ontario. Joan will join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch, to talk about entrepreneurship and resilience. To start the conversation, here is Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. And welcome back to episode two of season seven of the NPC podcast. As we start the merry month of May, I'm your co-host, Mitch Shannon. We're here in our podcast gondola, purchased high and cozy over the rink with a view of everything that happens everywhere, every time. Seated to my left in the gondola is the all-seeing Mark McElwain in Toronto. Mark is the omniscient pharma industry consultant and senior health policy expert. All seeing Mark, what is going on in the stock market this week? It looks like my RRSP is melting. Patience, patience. It's all about the long term, unless that was invested in cannabis stocks. No, you know, oddly enough, I went to an NPC meeting where there was a representative of a cannabis company, and I thought, no way, no how. And on Mark's left, out on the fringe of the extreme left, is the equally omniscient James Shea, general manager at Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. Jim, being in Montreal, here's a topical question for you. Can you explain why the Charité has been sending fines to Ontario drivers for having expired licenses? Did you see that story? I saw that story, and there's a whole economic background to that. And I'm going to assume it has to do with funding our world leadership in pothole development and through some kind of clawback from Ontario-based parts manufacturers. So I think that's actually what it's all about. It's just balancing the economics. Parts manufacturers leads us to Aurora, Ontario, where our guest is situated as we speak. But collectively, we are your very knowledgeable podcast hosts known as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the really clever names were already taken, such as world-famous Supreme Team or Alberta Medical Association. Fellas, our guest today is one of our favorite people, Joan Shafaya of Alto Pharmaceuticals up in Aurora, Ontario. Hi, Joan. Hi, how are you guys doing today? We're doing great. Yeah, and appearing with Joan is one of our all-time favorite household pets, Zoe, the Portuguese water dog, although I still don't know why she isn't named Chloe, which was my recommendation. Ms. Shafaya, are you ready to add NPC podcast guests to your already impressive resume? I'm ready, Mitch. I'm ready. Then let's get started. You are the founder and CEO and regulatory affairs VP and inventory control clerk and other titles of your own real life drug company, Alto Pharmaceuticals. Tell us about Alto, the vision and where you are now. Well, I think over the years, the vision has changed several times over. I think I'm probably in my third iteration. 
I had the thought in about 2002, and I think I was still at Hoffman La Roche at the time, but, you know, life gets in the way of things. Just when I thought about starting my own company, I actually went to Barrier Therapeutics, which was a dermatology startup. And for a while, that satisfied my need for building something. So it's a lot easier, I'll tell you, after all these years to build a company with somebody else's money. So that was a great experience. And honestly, that sort of helped me start Alto. And so when Barry Therapeutics was sold to Galderma, I got back on the Alto bandwagon. I actually worked in China for a little bit and licensed in my first few products and got ready to launch them. Now, that wasn't probably the smartest time to launch a company in 2008 and so on, because uh, financing was very difficult. So I broke one of the golden rules and financed myself. So in about 2011, when I'd launched the products, I was struggling, to be honest. And that's when I met, well, I already knew Larry Andrews, but that's when I decided to go. I started consulting for Cypher Pharma and ultimately ended up going over there to start their commercial organization in about 2011. That was before they had any products launched. And so Alto went back on hold and the assets were sold off to companies like Paladin and Galderma. And then I stayed at Cypher until about 2017. I left Cypher. And again, I started back with Alto (laughs) vigorously and got another two products, both in the nail area. One was a nail biting product and one was for onychomycosis, which I was getting ready to launch right before COVID. And then again, COVID struck and everything changed. So that was sort of the vision and that's where we sit now. It's Jim here. And that's a very interesting pathway for sure. I'd assume very unique. So how would you say that Alto along with several of your other projects have fared during this whole pandemic? Well, I mean, it's very difficult. And I know I've talked with people with other companies. So as I said, this is the third iteration of Alto because quite honestly, the first couple of times it failed and this third time It did too. So I had spent a lot of time and effort and investment in getting these two products to market. And they were not prescription products. They were OTC products, but with good scientific data. And for anybody that's in the sort of more consumer market, it's a long lead time to get on shelf. You have to, you know, pitch your product. You have to get the shoppers, drug marts of the world to take your product on. You have to get vendorized. You have to get listed. You pay fees. You pay trade allowances. You have to get on planogram, which usually is the main planogram is once a year. So you, you know, it's, it's a year or so at least long process. I did all that. I was very excited. We were launching in the fall of 2019. And when COVID hit, I had some import delays. Then the retailers, the vendors, because they were so focused on getting in PPE, they put a hold on a lot of the new products that they were bringing in. So I had products with, you know, 24 months dating on them that had just been launched like in the fall before COVID. And one of them actually was delayed and didn't launch until the February, right when COVID started. So honestly, after two years and nobody in the store, I didn't sell very much. I had to take a lot back, which I still am, and and basically lost a lot of money. So right now, the two products I launched are no longer on shelf. But you know what they say, one door closes and another one opens. So it actually, in some ways it was bad. Nobody likes to lose money, but those same retailers that needed PPE 
came to me and said, do you think you could provide a hand sanitizer? We can't get soap made. We can't get hand sanitizers. So that started iteration number three. And Alto actually um, combined forces and partnered with a company called Pepper and Pink, which was in the personal carrier. They did a lot of soap. And we launched 20 SKUs in the last year to various vendors under private label and branded names in those areas. So Alto as it was no longer exists, but the new Alto slash Pepper and Pink is a totally new story. And you just, you have to be agile. And COVID, I know, sunk a lot of companies and, you know, I had to sort of let go of the past and move ahead. And that's what we did. Wow. Impressive. Wow. Jode, it's Mark. You've described your background through a variety of different types of companies, big pharma, Roche, entrepreneurial, publicly traded pharma at Barrier and then Cypher. Through most of that journey, you've nurtured Alto as your private passion project. What's the difference between working for others and running your own show? Well, they're both different. And I be honest, I love them both. I mean, a steady paycheck is a good thing about working for another company. You know, from the big farm or even mid pharma, I do miss the team interaction, you know, having a big brand to launch the late night pizza sessions at the office. And, you know, a sort of management and launch, you know, I don't know how many brands I've launched in my life a lot, but I really found it very satisfying to see you know, especially under pressure. We had a lot of different situations at Roche and even Cypher. You're trying to get things launched in a very tight time frame, And I get a, a, a lot of pleasure out of seeing people that I work with or, you know, young product managers actually really come through in the crunch. Like you look at how people deal with stress and timelines and it brings out, you know, the best in a lot of people. And so I, I kind of miss that. I kind of miss people like watching other people grow. I mean, the thing about owning your own company, on the other hand, is, I mean, you learn something every day, and I really like to learn new things. Having said that, in your own company, you tend to learn them the hard way. <laughs> you, learn, you learn a lot from mistakes or things that <laughs> didn't work and can be a bit lonely. But ultimately, when you do have success, it's very satisfying because you learn a lot in pharma companies like Roche. I mean, obviously, you know, a big Swiss company. I learned way more than I think I knew I'd learned until later on in life. But, you know, when you think about how you get a product and how you, the price of a product and you're launching it and how much money to spend, you know, at some point in time, someone says, okay, this is the cost of goods. This is what we have to do. And this is what we're going to sell it for. And you go, okay. And off you go to market it, but you don't really have a good idea. Like, what is that cost of goods? Like what? There's like 50 people that you never talk to that got it from, you know, inception to telling you like you're going to market and what the cost is. And I think one of the things that I've really liked learning in my own company is that, you know, regulatory quality, manufacturing, procurement, all these huge departments that companies have, you know, it's kind of like, wow, what do those people do? And, and now I know, I can tell you exactly how much everything costs from the fact that core gets gone up by a third and pet for your plastic bottles has gone up by 28% and shipping's gone up, you know, 500%. But I've literally got it down to a fine art. I know how much everything, if I'm selling a unit of soap, I know every single cost that's gone in there. 
And that sounds strange, but it's satisfying. And when I'm trying to do a deal and someone tells me, okay, this is how much, I'm a better negotiator because I know exactly how much it costs. And I want to be fair, but I know what margins look like. So that I think is the difference. When it's your own company, you know everything right down to the minutia. So let's talk about technology. Advancing technology has certainly shaken up our lives, our business lives in particular. How has high tech made itself known in your efforts? Well, that's a very interesting question, Mark. I'm not sure how to answer it other than, in all honesty, I'm severely lacking in my own business. And, you know, even in in my partnership with Pepper and Pink as a small business, I find it very tough. I'm not an expert in technology. And, you know, bigger companies, SAP and all all of these ERP systems that, uh, you know, assist you in planning, we don't have. So, like I said, we have probably 50 SKUs now and we order all of our components, every single piece of it. So all I can tell you on that side is that as a small company, I wish there was a solution for small business that didn't cost you, you know, $3 million to implement because I could use a little technological help, but haven't quite figured out how to get it or what that might look like for me. So, Well, they're good answers. So it's Jim here again. You've got a bachelor's degree in biology and an MBA. And what would you say that your formal education has contributed to your as described, fairly uh, unique career journey up to this point? Another very good question. I really think everybody needs a baseline of education post-secondary. I think it's helpful. I think you need it. But on the other hand, I don't know, maybe because I'm older, I think it teaches you how to learn. It teaches you how to ask questions, hopefully. I mean, my undergrad probably didn't teach me as much as I thought it would, other than I remember getting very frustrated, feeling like I you know, it's having trouble learning because people didn't want to teach you. But in all, it's the way you learn how to ask questions, whether it's, you know, to your professor, your business. My second degree, it was the baseline. I wanted to be a doctor. I have a science degree. I didn't go to medical school, but it helped cultivate that love of science that got me sort of into pharma. Now, the second degree really just gave me, my MBA gave me the confidence that you know, I actually kind of knew what I was talking about because you go from science into pharma and I, I still believe pharmaceutical industry is one of the best industries to learn. You know, you can go from sales to marketing to clinical. You learn very, very, very good skills. And I think at the time I really thought I needed an MBA because I was a science person. I didn't know how to do business. But what I really realized with my MBA is that I did know how to do business and it just sort of helped me uh, facilitate the way I thought and sort of give me the confidence I needed in believing that I knew what I was doing. But having said that, I know a lot of people, I, I've had some of my best employees have had probably limited education. So I, I really don't believe that you can't have great employees. And I also know people that have, you know, more than many degrees. And yet, no matter how many degrees they have, they have a really hard time working in a business situation or flourishing in a company when perhaps maybe they should be in a lab. So I think it's more about the people and how you utilize your, you know, what you've learned and less about what your formal education is. It's a great answer. 
you know, I'm, I'm also hearing a little bit of a common theme there between education and your business is perseverance and decision-making. And I'm sure you were in a situation where you had to make uh, some tough decisions in your education, what, what you were doing and what your focuses were on that you bring to the table now too. So uh, very interesting, very interesting. You're listening to Joan Shafaya of Alto Pharmaceuticals here on the NPC podcast. So Joan, you've had some relatively notable mentors and influences including Dr. Geert Cowenberg, our, our mutual friend, Bob Lavoie, and of course, the late Dr. Stuart Madden. So here's a simple challenge for you. Uh, summarize what you've learned from each of them. Well, I think the lessons, they're all very different people, obviously, but you know what? If I can summarize it, I think the lessons I take away are less about business skills and more about human skills, really. And that's, you know, I'm not trying to be flippant about that, but I mean, they all taught me really in different ways, like uh, Stuart and Bob, particularly, because business is about people. And if you treat everyone well, then your business will be successful. And that's what I take away. I mean, as Stuart would say, he always had three things. Number one, never burn bridges because you never know who you might have to work with again. Always be practical and reasonable and kind. And then the third one, which I think probably Geert told me, and I think Bob told me at some point in time that and I didn't listen to is never use your own money to start a business. <laughs> so <laughs> I couldn't manage to ever take that last piece of advice, but no, in all honesty, I think it's about, you know, people and, and I've been lucky enough to have good mentors and on the number one, don't burn your bridges side. You know, I've had to ask people for help for it. help me get uh, something done in business. And if, if you return it in kind, eventually then, you know, it's amazing what people will do for you. So I think that's probably key for me in my business. Good answer again. It's Jim here back again. And let's step back and take a look at pandemic stuff again. So in your opinion, what changes did the pandemic require that were for the better and are likely to stick around in your case? Well, I mean, I think the one good thing that came from industry or more for industry, I honestly, I've always worked remotely, but I think people finally realized that, you know, you can trust people, people can work well from home, people can be happy. So I think from that standpoint, it's given people a lot more flexible about how they do work. But I also think, you know, for some people, I think you have to be open minded, because I don't think everybody works well in isolation either. And I guess the one thing, and I, I know your question was what's for the better, but I guess the opposite side of that is, is what's for the better is often, you know, sometimes not always good. And I think without the in-person, even on Zoom, I just find that people's tone, everybody's very busy and especially younger workers. I think managers and businesses have to keep in mind that, you know, they have some younger people starting up and then sometimes the tone of emails and text messages when people are busy is, is kind of lost or misleading. And that, you know, sometimes people feel like they're not doing a good job. It's just, I find that is lost a little bit with remote learning, but I think in general, you know, the pandemic has made it a lot more flexible for people that have different family situations and, and how they need to live their lives. So I think that's a, a good thing. Yeah, well, I mean, even recognition of the bad is a step towards the better, too. So, again, uh, interesting comments. Joan, it's Mark again. Let's go back to Alto Pharmaceuticals. And what would you say 
that makes Alto different? What's in your approach or plans that others can learn from? Well, I mean, Alto might be giving away secrets here. It may seem like a bigger company as it is, but I mean, basically Alto right now has always been one person. And now our current structure, even with my partnership with Pepper and Pink, there's three of us in total. And that says a couple things. To me, it says you can do a lot with very little. And, you know, when you start your own business, you don't need a huge infrastructure. You just need to learn what you need to learn to get things done. And I think the smaller you are, you know, agility is the key. Honestly, I think some of the business that we got during the pandemic is because, and the companies that had the business before us were much, much bigger than us, but they just could not figure out how to make things work during COVID. They had huge infrastructures, people, you know, how do you, when the cost of everything from corrugate to plastic, to transportation, to raw materials, to ingredients, they're just like, we can't, we can't do this business anymore. We can't compete. So being small, we could compete. We don't have 50 people in, and, you know, a huge campus somewhere uh, for an office. So I think agility is key and that makes us different. And I think, you know, in the past, when I said, this is my third iteration, I've had two, which, you know, I would consider a failure from a purely financial stand. Like if you look at how you judge a business, I'd consider them successful and that I licensed in a lot of products, but I could never really make them work for me financially. But, you know, you got to know when to, as Mitch and I were discussing the Kenny Rogers, know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away and know when to run. And I am extremely stubborn. And we talk about perseverance. What makes, you know, some people good at what they do is you don't take no for an answer. And my motto at Cypher was do whatever it takes. We had paperweights, whatever it takes everywhere. The reality is you have to know when to take your lumps and move on. And that's, that's always been a difficult for, thing for me, but I figured it out because, you know, survival tells you you have to. And, and in sort of opening up my mind a bit to, oh, I can't do private label things. I've always been on the pharmaceutical side of the business. You know what I mean? And we're talking private label soap. So there's you know, that took me a long time, actually. Oh, can I do that? Oh, of course I can do that. I need to do that. I'll do that. And at the same time, you know, now that business that we started that I never thought I'd be involved in that side, it's giving me the time and the opportunity to, again, go back to thinking about projects that I really want to do on the, on the branded side. So I think what makes us different is we're small, we're agile, and um, we keep a very open mind. And what we have to do. So moving on, we're going to invite you now to play our NPC podcast word association game. I'm going to mention a few names and phrases, and we'd like you to respond with the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. First one, clinoderm. Sensitive skin. Business travel. Love it. Investor pitches. Hate them. Dread them. Supplier relationships. Always challenging. Tennis. I miss it. Weddings. Have a lot of them this year. That's all I got. Great. Well, it's Jim here now, and we're, we're finally going to get time to put on your uh, designer soothsayer's hat. It's probably going to be a fascinator of some kind. And enter our uh, prognostication corner. What bold predictions do you have 
about the life sciences industry for next 12 months. Okay, because I was thinking that 12 months is a pretty short time frame in the life science sector, but... Go 24, go 36. Okay. It's a bit of a slow mover, but I think we're going to see a year or so of consolidation. And I know it's probably not news. It kind of every 10 years or so we go through the same things. But I think the bigger companies, there's a lot of smaller companies that are probably going to be hurting quite badly after COVID, whether it's putting clinical trials on hold or, you know, just just the whole cost of, of staying afloat. So I think we'll see some big companies acquiring smaller ones which will then probably lead to, I would say, the divestiture of non-core assets for some of those companies, whether it's because they brought things in, they have some conflicts or products that are too similar. So on the one hand, you know, consolidation. On the other hand, divestiture, which might lead to some opportunities for smaller companies. But I think we're going to see companies sort of becoming more focused on their core business and not so much on the other assets. And I think, unfortunately, we might see in Canada, particularly if not around the world, that, you know, the loss of products that are potentially lower revenue, depending on, you know, for big pharma or big company, if not pharma, OTC even, you know, if you have a, a threshold. Because, you know, in the past companies, and I would do it, you know, you, you would have a bit of a loss leader because, you know, it offered it offered patients something that they needed. It was small, but it was a good product. But now as costs are increasing, if you have a product that's a low revenue driver, that your cost of goods is going to go up, you, you just won't be able to do it. So I think it's unfortunate, but I think you'll see some good products, maybe even some products in the rare disease area, not available because they can't afford to keep them. We've been speaking with Joan Chafaya of Alto Pharmaceuticals, along with her executive assistant, Zoe, not Chloe, the most popular Portuguese water dog in Aurora, Ontario. Joan, we're glad you joined us today. You're that real rarity in pharma, a high-functioning entrepreneur who knows how to sustain an independent life sciences business. And we always learn something every time we speak with you. And, and I would have to add to that, your Kenny Rogers impersonation is second to none. So thanks for all that. And to everyone, thank you for listening. If you have questions for Joan, or comments for us about today's conversation, tag us on Twitter at 2021NPC. You can also send email to health at chronicle.org. Attach a voice clip to your message and you might appear in an upcoming episode. If you like today's NPC podcast, please share it with your colleagues. Find us at Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. Check them out at www.imprez.com. This is your announcer, Leona Void, speaking. The podcast producer is Jeremy Visser. Research for this program came from Kylie Rebenick and John Evans. The musical theme is performed with imagination and aplomb by the NPC Podcast Orchestra, under the direction of maestro Asa Pekka Milbrook. We'll be back next week with another guest from the world of the life sciences. We'll speak with you then.